0: today on This Week Health.
1: Sustainability informatics in healthcare looks at the ways that we can use data-driven solutions and data science to help health systems reduce their ecological footprint or develop sustainable measures in healthcare practice or reduce carbon emissions. The healthcare sector in the United States accounts for about 8% of all greenhouse gas emissions. And so, of my strong opinion, as healthcare providers, we have a duty to not only help the patients that we have now, but also all people in this world. We have to do our part in developing sustainable solutions in healthcare.
0: Welcome to This Week Health community. This is Town Hall, a show hosted by leaders on the front lines with interviews of people making things happen in healthcare with technology. My name is Bill Russell, the creator of This Week Health, a set of channels designed to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. We want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Hillrom, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders Now, on to our show.
2: Hello, I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare, based out of Memphis, Tennessee. And today, I'm gonna be talking with Priya Ramaswani, an anesthesiologist and Clinical Informatics Fellow at UCSF. Priya, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Can you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background?
1: Sure, So. As you mentioned, I'm a second year clinical informatics fellow at um, University of California, San Francisco, and also a trained anesthesiologist. I completed my residency from Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. But prior to that, I studied electrical engineering and computer science, and did my undergrad and master's in those subjects from MIT. So, I've always been very passionate about um, technology and its applications, specifically in healthcare. So, that was one of the motivational factors that got me to do this fellowship.
2: Thankful to have you on. And today, we're going to talk about a subject that is pretty foreign to me and I would think to most listeners. We're going to talk about sustainable healthcare informatics. Can you just walk us through what that term means?
1: Sustainability informatics in healthcare looks at the ways that we can use data-driven solutions and data science to help health systems reduce their ecologic footprint or reduce or develop sustainable measures in healthcare practice, add value or save cost, and or reduce carbon emissions from either, for example, I work on a project related to anesthetic gases, but also the waste that goes into the dumpster can also end up releasing being bad for our environment and releasing co2 and so that's what i'm here to talk about today and the healthcare sector in the united states accounts for about eight percent of all greenhouse gas emissions and so of my strong opinion as healthcare providers we have a duty to not only help the patients that we have now but also all people in this world and we have to do our part in developing sustainable solutions in healthcare.
2: Thank you for explaining that. And I wanna talk about your specific project in in just a little bit, but actually this topic came up in one of the meetings I was having recently, where I believe the government is gonna start requiring all organizations, including hospitals and healthcare systems to report on their admissions so it's certainly going to be something that is, if people are not already thinking about it, they're going to have to start thinking about it going forward. Any comments on on that?
1: Well, I think it's a, a movement in the right direction. I think that many organizations, not just in the U.S., but across the globe, or healthcare organizations are taking a stance to make a healthier ecosystem for people. And so... I do believe that that's the right way to go.
2: So, tell me just a little bit about how you got into this you or interested in this topic from your background.
1: Yeah, so first, I have to give credit to one of my amazing mentors, Dr. Seema Gandhi, who is the director of sustainability at the University of California, San Francisco. And shortly after I started my fellowship, I was lucky enough to start working with her in some of the ways that in, from the informatics capacity to help her, help her with solutions on how we can improve the ecological, reduce the ecologic footprint that a place like University of San Francisco healthcare system does for the environment. And so more than a year ago, I was invited by her due to my informatics and technical capacity to help launch a clinical decision support tool across all of the UCs in the operating room. And this tool to reduce the carbon emission footprint of anesthetic gases was developed by Dr. Robinovitz and Dr. Gandhi in 2018 in at UCSF. And so, it was my role to take this tool and figure out from the informatics standpoint how we can roll it across all of the UCs.
2: Yeah, I want to hear a lot more specifics about the, this particular tool, but let's just start with kind of defining the data sets and the problem. So, you're talking about anesthetic gases, and you talked about how U.S. healthcare amounted to 8% of emissions. Is that what you were talking about?
1: Yes, and that's a paper from Chung and Meltzer in 2009, specifically about anesthetic gases. So volatile anesthetic agents like sevoflurane, isoflurane, and desflurane have global warming potentials that are about 300 to 3,000 times greater approximately than carbon dioxide over a 20-year time period horizon. And so, historically, sevoflurane, one of the most commonly used gases, in addition to isofluorine and desflurane, which are less used, but still used in the operating rooms. Generally, however circuits work, is that um, we have fresh gas flows, which is generally a mix of air and oxygen at a set rate that is a carrier for these anesthetic gases. And just historical practice has been that anesthesiologists or anesthesia providers in the operating room used to, back in the day, run their fresh gas flows more than two or three liters per Because in the past, there were concerns about developing toxins within the anesthetic circuit that can end up going to the patient. However, with newer technology and better Absor- absorption systems within the anesthetic machines, those concerns are no longer valid. And so in 2018, UCSF developed a technology that within our EHR, we use EPIC, that would alert the clinician real time if their fresh gas flow rate was at that time greater than one liter a minute for sevoflurane. fluorine and 0.7 liters a minute for isofluorine and desfluorine. And this was a clinical decision support alert system that was non-interruptive, but active. So it would display on the sidebar of our anesthetic module within Epic. And we, it would alert the clinician whenever the flows were greater, the flows were greater than that limit for five minutes after the start of surgery. And so this was rolled out successfully at UCSF in 2018 prior to my arrival and studied. So there's a paper potentially coming out by one of our prior faculty, Andrea Olmos, with Seema Gandhi and Dr. Rabinowitz, looking at the before and after effects in 2018 and how much we reduced that by. And I mean, in summary... This clinical decision support tool did um, show that at UCSF we were able to reduce our consumption of anesthetic gases safely. And we also saved the department money and also re- reduced our carbon emissions. And so now we have this tool that is now in like a commercial EHR and so my role was to figure out, okay, we have this tool about how can we encourage and advocate other health systems within the UC system to also deploy this clinical decision support tool in their own hospitals.
2: Let me try to rephrase a little bit. So these gases that y'all use in anesthesia contribute to global warming. They cause levels of, of increase greater than CO2, which we commonly think about. And the reason y'all were kind of had them turned up so high is because there was a concern in the past about toxins developing in there. Was that the only reason to have it up high, or was it a sedating property that you wanted to make sure the patient was properly asleep or anything like that? And has there been any, with your reduction, was there any issue with patients waking up or anything like that?
1: No. So. Yeah, generally the flow rates were higher specifically for sevoflurane, because there was something that can develop called compound A, which is nephrotoxic, when historically you would run low flows in the anesthetic machine based on older formulations of our CO2 absorption mechanism that chemistry of the absorbers has changed in more recent years. And so the development of compound A is not an issue anymore for the modern anesthetic machines that use state-of-the-art and modern absorption, absorbers, CO2 absorbers specifically. So that was one of the main reasons. And secondly, I think it was just a habit that even though modern absorbers came to the operating rooms, it was just habit from old literature that you study that oh, like, keep your flows greater than two liters. So I think part of it was just getting rid of old habits. And then, yeah, I think in it's possible that with older machines, they're possible that there could have been leaks. So um, historically, people may have ran their flows higher. And surely, like with higher flows, like the anesthetic definitely does um, build up in the body faster, especially if your dial setting placebo fluorine is high. However, um, you can still safely get the patient to the right amount of anesthetic and then lower the flows. Um, you don't need to be running that high amount of flow for the entirety of the case. And so that's what we decided to do at UCSF. And it's not something that's like novel to UCSF. So I remembered my mentor who did her training in the UK, historically in European countries like the UK, anesthesiologists would use lower flow rates and would have been doing that safely for years. And so I think it's time u.s anesthesia providers caught up in that behavior
2: it's a great example of of an area of waste within our healthcare system that most of us didn't realize existed and y'all created this algorithm that safely reduced it and saved some money and also helping the environment did you have any issue with transferring it from ucsf to other hospitals within the system
1: yes so One, technically, so that's where my role came in. Dr. Seema Gandhi was like the champion of this idea. And Dr. David Robinovitz had developed this technology at UCSF in 2018. But there were several challenges to now deploying it across um, other UC systems. So part of it is, one, finding the right physician champions and stakeholder buy-in at each of the institutions which Dr. Gandhi had been doing for the last couple of years to try to gain support from each of the UCs. But once you had buy-in, now how do you take one technology that works at UCSF and now deploy it to a place like UC Irvine, for example? They have a different team of EHR analysts. They have a different team of the OR technologists that help with the hardware integration. And then they have a different team that does like data reporting and we were lucky at UCSF where we have a pretty robust um, data reporting and analyst team and so we needed to also get buy-in from the tech stakeholders too that would actually be now deploying this technology within their health system and so what really helped me and our team, make sure that the technical process went smoothly, was having set multi-institution meetings monthly, but often more than monthly, especially with specific institutions, and making myself available for any technical support um, on an as-needed basis.
2: What was the major hindrance? Was it more people getting people on board or was it the technical piece that was the most difficult to transfer?
1: It was more the technical piece because there were some small differences between our EHR and other EHRs. Also, this is more of a custom CDS that we developed on Epic, but you can develop it if you have an Epic and buy the package where you can develop BPAs. And so, One, translating that and making sure that data reporting was done seamlessly because it's one thing to now deploy this technology, but it's another thing to then determine if the technology that you deployed actually is doing what it's supposed to do. And so working with the analysts at other institutions who had never done like these type of queries before was challenging, but I was excited that all of the analysts that I worked with at other institutions were also excited and passionate about this project. So overall, I think part of it was luck and part of it was having a great team and a lot of enthusiastic people wanting to make this happen.
2: How easy would you think it would be for somebody kind of outside your system to recreate this in their own healthcare environment without having the technical knowledge that you will have?
1: Yeah. So these are the elements that I think you would need to develop a clinical decision support alert system to remind anesthesia providers to turn down their fresh gas flow. So as long as your um, anesthetic EHR is pulling in the set concentrations for sevoflurane, desflurane, and isoflurane, as long as it's pulling in the information for the fresh gas flow rate. And as long as also for tracking purposes, specifically, you are able to capture the anesthetic agent liquid consumption, which several machines do output, and also the end-tidal anesthetic concentration of the sivofluorine, dust fluorine, or isofluorine, then I believe that any anesthetic anesthesia information management system would be able to develop a similar alert system for anesthesia providers. It does require some hardware integration so it could be that the anesthetic machine does have this information or is displaying this information one but you would have to make sure that you're pulling it into your EHR and remember this is on a per minute level so our be our. Clinical decision support tool um, runs its algorithm every minute of the case, mm. and so, which is different from many of the other clinical decision support tools that are deployed in like outpatient or inpatient settings. And so as long as you have all of these um, factors that you can pull into your EHR and your EHR is customizable enough where you can develop some sort of alert that can run in the background every minute of the case, then I do think that you can develop a um, alert system for your operating room. Okay.
2: And what sort of outcomes were y'all measuring? How did you know it was a success? Um, was it the flow rate, like average flow rate, or was it total volume of gas? What were we looking at?
1: Right. So we were certainly looking at fresh gas flow rates before and after. For example, like after I joined my fellowship, the department we decided to lower our gas flow rate threshold to 0.7 liters a minute, which is now the lowest in the country that any like institution runs. So we run it at 0.7 liters a minute, the threshold for all gases now. So we're looking at that. We were also looking at firing rates, which I started looking at after I joined to see like how frequently would the alert fire. And what you'd saw was looking back, for example, when we reduced the threshold from one liter to 0.7 liters, last year in our institution we saw a spike in firing rates and then like a a spike and then the number of firing coming down over time within like a couple month period to a steady. and then lastly we also looked at aggregate consumption of the mls saved of you know these gases by deploying this technology and Lastly, we looked at, so it's mLs per mac hour utilized, aggregate, averaged per case. And so you can think of like mLs of fluorine per mac hour as, think of it as a gas mileage of a car, for example. And so our goal was to... Improve the gas mileage of the the anesthetic machine, or like our anesthetic use, and so we also tracked that.
2: Very nice. Well, this is certainly, like I said, kind of a new area for most of us. We didn't have this on our radar. But what other areas do you see the opportunity for as far as you know, sustainable healthcare informatics?
1: Right. So um, certainly there's a lot of potential in for data science and informatics for sustainable outcomes in healthcare so one great project i also worked and led on the technical side this past year was reducing waste in the operating room and really supporting a team using data driven measures and so as a clinical informatics fellow at ucsf I'm very fortunate to have training for Clarity Access, for example, which is the epic data warehouse that we can tap into. And at UCSF, we also have very robust supply chain and purchasing data. And so more than a year ago, I teamed up with um, several of our anesthesia residents for a yearly QI project and the goal was to focus on sustainability and try to reduce the consumption of single-use plastics in the operating room that are disposable and just go to landfill and also reduce the um, use of um, costly medications where there were less costly and equivalently safe alternatives. Mm -hmm. So what I was able to do before the project started was pull data to look at what medications in the operating room are we utilizing frequently and also what are the costs for each vial or unit of medication. And from that list, we were able to target um, several medications that were extremely costly to the healthcare system where there were alternatives um, to using those medications. And then additionally, we noticed that there were some, there were in our institution at least, there was a large waste of hotlines, for example, which is a blood transfusion setup that would warm the blood in the OR. So, a lot of times, the technicians in the OR would open that and have it hanging for the case for the anesthesiologist to use if needed. However, it was Majority of times it was not needed or not even hooked up to the patient at all. And so these are all single-use items. You shouldn't be saving it for the next case because once you open it, it's kind of contaminated. And so we were wasting a lot of those too. And then some other single-use plastic items as well in the operating room. Mm -hmm. And so with these residents, once we identified which ones were very costly but also being wasted frequently we were able to develop fast like three pdsa cycles each several months long where we would introduce one medication and one single-use plastic to reduce for those three months and then the next cycle we would add on like two other medication or single-use plastics And with my informatics training, I was able to track these elements over time by querying the different databases and also teaming up with the the supply chain and purchasing folks in order to get pretty much like monthly savings of each of these, you know, medication or single-use plastics. So I realized that a lot of, clinical informatics oftentimes looks at like patient outcomes and optimizing the healthcare system in more of the clinical setting. But I think especially now that sustainability is such a hot topic and healthcare systems are caring a lot about these areas, and we should too as human beings, there's so much potential for clinical informaticians to help guide these guide and champion these measures, especially because we bring so much value to the table in terms of analytics and EHR domain and domain expertise.
2: No, that, that's great. And I'm sure your CFO would really appreciate it as well. All of us are trying to save money as well. So great efforts. And thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you everybody for listening.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I love this show. I love hearing from people on the front lines. I love hearing from these leaders. And we want to thank our hosts who continue to support the community by developing this great content. We also want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Hillrom, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. If you want to support the show, let someone know about our shows. They all start with This Week Health, and you can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. Keynote, Town Hall, Newsroom, and Academy. Check them out today, and thanks for listening. That's all for now.